Morning Liberty. Well, hello, hello, hello. Charlie, is that you? It's me. What's up, man? We're back in action. This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast just seeping into your ears right now. It's been weeks, It's been I feel like. so long. Where, where, what were you doing last week? I was in, you know, this random state no one really cares about, Colorado. Yeah. Have yeah. a good time? It's no Alaska. It is no Alaska. That's true. <laughs> is that where That's you were? I was in Alaska. Oh, cool. Yeah. We were both on vacation, two different places, both visiting mountains. Yes. Checking uh, them out. There was no water in Colorado. We did go to a lake, though. Yeah. But before we dive into this conversation, I want to let people know that subscribe button is still available for you to click on. We've made that extended. Um, we're talking about extending that through the end of the year, but we haven't decided yet. So That's, you might yeah. want to click it now before it disappears. We'll let you know. Yes. It's a big marketing call right there. So on your iPhone, it's a purple button that says subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends about it. It's the Good Morning Liberty Podcast where we come at you with the truth. It's all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning around e- here. Even sometimes when the truth is inconvenient and yes. unpopular. Yes. We're finding. So today we're going to discuss uh, price gouging. Yeah. But first I want to know, you know, I like you, Nate. You know, we're friends. So I want to know how was the trip? It was a good trip. You know, I've never been to Alaska. Me neither. I, I used to be, yeah, I used to be like you, but now I'm not anymore because now I've been to Alaska. <laughs> and so now I've hit all 50 states. It's wow. pretty cool. Yeah. We could have done that at the same time. I've we only could have been to both, 49. We could have both hit 50 at the same time. Yep. Now, yep. you've played in more states than I than I have, I mm-hmm. think. I have. I, I accidentally went up to Maine one time for a show that had been canceled, and we didn't figure, it, figure that out until we got up there. So I've uh, played in Maine. Those people like rock and roll. Good. Yeah, we yeah. think that they would have also, but the show got canceled. So anyway, got 50 states. It was really pretty up there. Um, it was Beautiful weather the whole time, which a lot of times you'd think that it would be raining. We hit perfect weather the whole time. The temperature was amazing. It was like it was like mid fifties the whole time, kind of on average, which is just beautiful, like hoodie weather, you know, or like a light jacket. I love the fall. It's so it just was so nice. We were on a we were on a cruise ship and um real big ship, a lot of people, really good food. And um the only you know, there's a lot of people there, but what I noticed about them the most was that none of them were you on the ship. It was really just other people. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't you none of them at were all. Me. A lot of rude people on a cruise ship, by the way. Really? Really. Like the, I don't know, all the, I don't know if it's just the kind of people that go on cruises or if it's just a thing where like you think you own the world because you're on a cruise ship or something, but like a lot of common courtesies just kind of go out the window when you're on a cruise ship. Must've been, must've been a bunch of people from the Northeast on there. I think so. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of Northerners on that thing for sure. Not many Nashville people. Yeah. For sure. Except, you know, Northern, they have the Minnesota nice is what they say. Like that's the nicest people in the in, country, Minnesota. Minnesota? Somehow. Huh. I don't know if they skew the statistics on that or what. Yeah, I think that's only if you've ever been in Minnesota before. But we're used to the people from the South where, you know, you say, hello, how are you doing? Yeah, excuse you say, me. Say, excuse me. When you go, you open the door for someone. Right. You know. Say, thank you. Say, thank you. You say, you ask people how their day is going. All yeah. kinds of stuff. I mean, we we definitely ran into uh, not very much of that at all. But it was a really fun trip. Had a great time. But you were on yeah. a boat that's like, I mean, it's a city on the water. It's really big. Much. It holds a really big town, I guess. Holds like over six thousand people. It's yeah. It's um. It was a really big boat, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, there was a there was mini golf, there was a go kart track, there were a couple pools, and there was laser tag. There was a 7D theater. Um, there was a big like auditorium where they were doing musicals and stuff. I mean, just a massive boat, real big. That's amazing. Yeah, I've never been on a cruise before, so <laughs> it was a good one to start with because the the boat was so big. You could feel it moving like sometimes, but there wasn't really a lot of seasickness going around because once the boat gets big enough, you just don't feel it that much anymore, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I've heard people who are on smaller boats, you know, you can kind of feel it a little bit more because obviously the boat weighs less. The waves can can move it around a lot more. So I don't know. Put put in perspective how big that boat is, we grew up in a town of 1,400 people. Yeah. 1,400, and you had almost six times that many people on a boat. Yeah, yeah. So I was on a boat. In Colorado, we rented a boat for two hours at the Horse Tooth Reservoir. Did it have a go kart track on it? No, okay. no, it was a mini boat. We felt everything. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so every little thing that you went down, we felt uh, that every little wave. But it was a lot of fun. Beautiful place. Uh, Colorado's still beautiful. Again, it's no Alaska, but we had a blast. <laughs> I mean, I never played music on a cruise ship like you have before. I mean, you've done what? Like a? Didn't you do like something called Ship Rocked or something like that? Yeah, so we played uh, we played on a boat called Ship Rocked down in the Caribbean and all that. So that was a good time. Um, that was a that was an MSC cruise line. Never been on on that before. Yeah. So that was that was interesting. But uh, me and my girlfriend we we uh, traveled. To, she had got a surprise for my birthday. Oh which yeah, was cool because my birthday's coming up here in a couple weeks. And uh, I was uh, really excited about that surprise. We showed up and we went uh, ATV riding in the Rockies. So that was pretty cool and yeah. dangerous. And dangerous is fun. <laughs> um, now, one other thing. Big news that happened. Big news that happened while we were both gone. I don't know if you heard this, but Miley Cyrus has announced that she's not going to have any children until we solve climate change. Oh. Yeah. Really, really big news. So that's evolution taking care of itself. Yeah. I mean, if there was ever an argument for the continuation of climate change, then then that's what it is right there. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I know she's a beacon of hope for everyone out there, but I don't know if she thought that that was going to persuade people to try and do something about it or if it was going to persuade people to try and make it worse. I'm not sure what her plan was. But anyway, that was the only news I saw while I was. Well, I want you to listen to this transition carefully because this is genius right here. (laughs) Nate. It was a really good thing that you were on a cruise to Alaska and not a cruise to the Bahamas, because unfortunately, the Bahamas was devastated by Hurricane Dorian. It uh, hung over the northern islands for a solid 40 hours, 185 mile per hour sustained winds for about 40 hours over the Bahama. I think they're up to 30 confirmed dead, which is uh, very sad. And Hurricane brings about some very um, difficult liberty discussion yes uh, and so we mentioned that we're going to get into price gouging um first of all disasters are terrible natural disasters are terrible people losing their lives is a terrible thing uh we see it i mean we grew up in the midwest you see it all the time with uh tornadoes people on the coast and stuff have earthquakes and you know there's all kinds of things that happen hurricanes typhoons all around the world there's volcano eruptions. There's all kinds of natural disasters that, uh, look, the earth is out to kill you. Okay. That's, that's just, that's what mother nature does. Yeah. The moment you're born, you grow up a little bit and then you start dying. Yeah. And there's a lot of things out there that want to take you out. 
including some uh, evil people. But, you know, Mother Nature's out there to kill you. There's poisonous steaks and spiders and mushrooms and, you know, you eat the wrong stuff. You're dead, yeah. unfortunately. So that happens, and it, it is sad. You know, we hope that people live through natural disasters, obviously. But there's a discussion that always comes up around this time, and it's a very difficult discussion. And we're going to try to navigate this in the in the most logical but a moral, emotional sense, if we can. This one's really tough uh, because... And I'll I'll go through some of the comments I've had on on Facebook because I did po- I wrote an article about this this morning, big article about it on GoodMorningLiberty.us, uh, saying that price gouging is just supply and demand. And what I've heard, what I've found out, is that I'm even getting a lot of pushback on the libertarian pages that I that I'm a member of. I posted the article out to some of those, and so. One of the things I heard was that this is a that price gouging is a stupid hill to die on. Mainly saying that like people aren't going to agree with this. Uh, this is a very emotional, terrible argument, and it's not something that we should be out there talking about because we're just going to push people away from the message that we're trying to get out there. And I understand that argument. Mm-hmm. I completely, you know, in a lot of ways, I really do agree with that. There are things that that I don't think we need to make a big point to talk about sometimes because there are other things that need to be solved before we ever even get to that. So, so we don't need to, to talk about them. And, and sometimes there are things that libertarians such as us will choose to talk about that actually uh, are just going to push away like 97% of people in, in the U S and, and never bring anyone over to what we're trying to talk about. And, and this it is potentially one of them, but the reason that I that the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because I believe that the emotional argument behind people's reaction to price gouging is the same emotion that dictates how people like Bernie Sanders and Warren and all these people are able to get so many people to agree with the arguments that they're making on a daily basis. And that that's why I've decided to to continue forward with talking about the price gouging because the same this the same irrationality and emotional side of this conversation is the same basis for how we have all these other discussions about all these democratic socialist ideas. And it's the same emotion that it's at the base of why so many, why thousands of people go to see Bernie Sanders and why he is polling so high against all the other Democratic candidates and why he has such, such a great support among so many people, because it's the same, it's the same basis. And that's why I, at the end of the day, I think that if you could get people to understand and to logically think about price gouging, if you could get through that emotional wall that says this is wrong and you're an evil, greedy person and obviously you don't care about people, if you can get through that, then you've actually got a chance at getting through the people on everything else. Because I see this as like the extreme example of what people hate about capitalism, what people hate about economics. This is a very hard sell. Yeah. This is like all the way to the extreme. These are literally people who need food and water, 
who need gas to run generators or need gas to drive their cars away. And the prices are being driven up on them so high that sometimes they can't afford the the very basic things they need. And so I think this is a perfect extreme example of how people on the left view capitalism all the time. That's why I wanted to make this argument. Because I believe that people on the left see almost everything in capitalism as price gouging. So if and, you can... And truly, it's the opposite. Yeah, like, it, it is. This sounds crazy. Um, actually, I'm going to start here. I'm going to start here because I think this opens up the discussion uh, for more people to listen to what maybe we have to say or what we're discussing. So I want to say that profiting off of people's, you know, downtrodden crisis is wrong. I agree there, you know, making excess profits off of people struggling is not a good thing. And I'm talking about excess profits, right? But I want to bust that myth. So I want to say that I'm, I'm, and I'm also, I'm for helping people. Yeah. I mean, the lines of boats and trucks and, you know, electric companies and semis and people taking, I mean, the you know, my church even had a huge, giant couple U-Hauls and semi-trailers full of stuff, just people bringing diapers, all the necessities and giving that away as charity, right? These are free things that people are giving. But I want to bust the myth of evil, greedy corporations profiting off of people's crisis, because just so you know, almost all your gas station owners, they're not Shell, by the way. Like Shell Corporation doesn't own those gas stations. Yeah. You know, uh, whatever, BP or Mobile or whatever gas station you choose, the Speedway Exxon. or Exxon, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, all, almost all of your gas stations are owned by local residents. They're local business people, and they are small business owners that don't make as much money. They're middle class people, and they make a small profit unless they have several chain stores. You know, there are people that own like several Thorntons or whatever, and they make a decent amount of money. But most of your gas stations and things like this are local people who are just like you. And guess what's going to happen whenever they whenever they run out of their gas? I'm going to use gas stations as examples. They close business, number one. And then number two, they can't open up for a while until they can get more gas. And so it's just like anyone else. They're trying to prepare themselves for what lies ahead in the future, whether they're going to be closed down for a couple of weeks or anything like that. So it's not evil, greedy people trying to make their billions and screw everyone else. Most of these business owners are people just like me and you. They're middle class people who are also affected by the disaster. And because they don't have a, a let's say they don't work at, for a corporation, you know, they don't have a steady job that pays them every two weeks. They own a business. They have to plan for those types of things. And so I'll agree. I will agree that profiting off people's crisis isn't, isn't a good thing. I'll say that. Um, but that's not what these people are doing. It's not what they're doing at all. Well, and, and to go further on that, you're, you're mentioning the fact that a lot of these people who run these gas stations they're actually local people and i think it's it's important to note that real people do own the gas stations and real people have to work in the gas stations and one thing that i think we lose sight of is 
during these natural disasters when when everyone is trying to get to get gas and get out of town the assumption is that the gas station owner is supposed to just stay there and make sure that they can just keep serving gas to everyone they're supposed to stay there through the storm through the hurricane that's potentially going to kill them and make sure that they can continue serving people and so the very first thing we can talk about there is does that person we'll we'll just use emotional words too does that person deserve to be paid more money for staying in harm's way and serving the people who are trying to jump ship and get out of town do they deserve more money i think most people that have a high risk job get paid more yeah like one of the highest paid jobs is an underwater um welder yeah right i think you can easily make six figures if you can weld underwater yeah why because people die doing that super dangerous yes yeah. very dangerous there's a lot of dangerous jobs like crane operators uh people who put their lives at risk i know even in the military when you're overseas you get hazard pay you get um what is it? you get overseas pay you get all these extra now i know it's not much but it, it is an extra pay for a dangerous situation and the people who have a higher likelihood of dying in their job usually get paid a hazardous pay, right? And so this gets a little bit muddied up when we're talking about a gas station, too. I will say it. So I was talking to my wife about this, and she was like, well, I mean, they what, they can't just leave the pay at the pump thing on and leave? I mean, you can go to most gas stations when they're closed and keep buying gas, you know? So she was like, the, the owners can leave and just leave the pumps on, you know? Um so there's a little argument that comes in to where maybe a gas station's not the perfect perfect example, but then what do you do about all the grocery stores and all the people who are trying to sell water? All all of those they can't just leave all their self checkout lanes open and leave, you know. So you're still asking, you're asking people to stay in harm's way while other people are trying to leave and seek shelter, and and that that's what you're doing in this scenario. And then you're also saying that they should be expected to work for the same price during that time that they should not be expected to be able to demand any higher pay or any higher income for staying there to serve you instead of going and hiding in a basement somewhere or getting out of town. So that's the that's the first thing that I think people really really lose sight of is that the cost of the goods the cost of the goods actually does go up at this point in time. Whereas maybe it, the cost of the water was $4. Well, the cost of the water is more now because the labor prices to serve you the water are higher. And then you also have all the supply trucks that need to bring more water in the town. What, do you, what are you going to do as someone who owns a distribution company and you're distributing things to grocery stores or gas stations and all of a sudden there's a bunch of roads out or there's trees down, there's power lines down, there's road obstructions all over the place. Are you going to ask your truck drivers to drive into harm's way, into a hurricane, to continue serving people with these goods that they need? If you're going to ask them to do that, should they get paid more money to do that than normal? They probably should. Now, what if you're, what if you're an evil, greedy person and you don't pay the people extra, but they are drivers who get paid by the hour and it takes them five times as long to get to places because so many roads are out there. There's so many obstructions all over the place. So regardless, in either one of those scenarios, the cost of the goods goes up 
at that point in time. The actual base cost of the goods goes up because all of the delivery prices are higher. The prices for paying the people who are going to sell it to you go up. So the so those prices are higher. So before we even bring in any basic supply and demand theory, you can use the base price of the goods and the fact that I don't see any way you could say that the cost itself does not go up in this kind of scenario. That it, it just stays the same, regardless of all the conditions around. The only way that it can't is if it is charity. And that's a difference. Like if companies decide, hey, we can take a loss, right? Or if people decide, hey, we're going to take a loss or we're going to volunteer, that's when it becomes charity. And I want to make this even more emotional before we get into the logic. You know, like let's talk about Tony. And I'm going to use gas stations again. Tony, the gas station owner, can't feed his family or help them be safe because he's not allowed to raise his gas prices. So now Tony... It can't go to the grocery store and buy food or anything like that for his family because his gas station's now out of gas. So no one's going there. No one's purchasing any, you know, refreshments or anything from his store. And so now he's out of money and his family of four relies on him to provide for them. And he can no longer do that. And so now you have three kids die um, because they didn't eat for two weeks. That's not good. Right. That's not a good thing. No. And that's, that's the part that people forget about and obviously that's that's an extreme example but that's the part that people forget about is that these people who run the stores they need to make more money uh if not simply for the fact that they might go a week or two without being able to sell anything because the suppliers might not be able to get to their store because people came there and and you've you decided that they need to sell everything at the same price all the time. So, so many people came there. Uh, they filled up storage containers with gas and 50 different gas jugs in the back of their truck with gas. They bought up all the gas. And now this this store owner is not going to have anything to sell for weeks until suppliers can get there to replenish their supplies. So then, even in that example... Is it okay for the store owner to increase the price of the products they're going to sell to make up for the fact that they might be about to go uh, one or two weeks without getting any new supplies to sell to people? You know, is it okay for them to increase the price then? So that's even, we're still not even in basic supply and demand yet. Mm-mm. We're still just talking about the, I mean, I don't see even on, in an emotional argument, purely emotional argument, how you can't agree with the fact that all of those base costs right there have gone up and we don't even know how much they've gone up but the price has increased at the at the bottom of everything so how much have you decided that they can be increased now that that's the that's the problem i had this i found this article on cbs i pointed to it in our article on goodmorningliberty.us uh, this article on cbs the headline the headline was for a $4 case of water. Florida hit by price gouging ahead of Hurricane Dorian. So the first part of that headline. $9 for a $4 case of water. Now my first... um, The first uh, kind of smart aleck side of my brain will go, okay, well, $9 for a $4 case of water. Well, guess what? That's not a $4 case of water. That's a $9 case of water. That's that's the first thing I would say. Mm-hmm. Like when you see something on sale somewhere where it says we're going to give you all of this, it, it's normally sixty dollars, but we're going to do it for 
$19.99, and it's a $60 value. Well, no, it's a $19.99 dollar value because that's what you're selling it for. Plus but shipping and handling. If it was a $60 value, yeah. If it was a $60 value, then you'd be posting it for $60 and people would be buying it. It's not a $60 value or you wouldn't have lowered the price. So things, the prices on things do fluctuate based on what the demand for that, for that item is. And how can you just say, you know, what is it that says that a case of water is $4? Why was that case of water $4 beforehand? They're saying it's a double normal price, basically. Normal price. Well, what, what dictates that $4 price that people were paying? And the answer to that is, that's the price that people would pay. That's why it was a $4 case of water. Because the case of water might not have had more than $2 in cost to the person who was trying to sell it. But people would pay $4. And we've all decided, okay, the $4, that's a completely reasonable price for a case of water. And that's why it costs $4. So people always forget about the fact that when you're getting sold something, when you're buying something from any kind of store, any gas station, they are always getting the highest price for that item that they think they can get from you. Everything that you're paying is the highest price that they can charge you because that's what people will pay for it. It just so happens that in this scenario, the price, the highest price that they could charge for something went up because the demand for it went up. And we see this all the time on all kinds of different things. When the demand for it, look at Super Bowl tickets. There's a fixed amount of them. You know, uh, when it's the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, you might end up paying $15,000 per Super Bowl ticket. Whereas for the it, nosebleeds. Yeah. Whereas if it's the Cleveland Browns in the Super Bowl, you might pay $2,000 per ticket. Now, what was the price? What's, That's still kind of high. Yeah. What's <laughs> now? So what's the price of a Super Bowl ticket? The price is what people will pay for it. That's the price. NFL price gouges fans <laughs> yeah, for always. Super Bowl experience. <laughs> and so that $9 price for the case of water, that that is a lot. That's a lot for a case of water. Um, unless you think about the fact that it could keep you alive and whether or not you think your life is worth $9, I don't really think that that's too much for a case of water. You know, we pay way more for freaking Netflix all the time. This per is month. one thing that drives me insane. Oh, $9 for a case of water that could literally keep me alive for an entire month, but I'll pay $13 to Netflix. Totally fine. Yeah. People's people's priorities are so screwed up these days. But <clears throat> let's any- let's start on the let's break it all the way down for everyone. And let's get on what what is basic economics? Like what's the definition even? And the definition of economics it's just the allocation of scarce resources. Now let's unpack that, all right? What is a scarce resource? That's everything, by the way. Water is a scarce resource. Gas is a scarce resource. Your phone is a scarce resource. Your hair products is a scarce resource. Your house is a scarce resource. Everything that we have. Super Bowl tickets are a scarce resource. They are. Everything that we have, every single product or service or anything that you have is a very scarce resources. Now, in economics, the, the, they call it economics because it's, uh, it's the allocation of those scarce resources. And what's the best way to 
allocate those scarce resources to the people that most need them or the people that most want them for the desire. Well, in a free market system, that's done by prices, right? Now, if you think about this in, in a socialist or communist system, that's done by a centralized group of people. So they allocate the scarce resources um, by trying to uh, do the mathematically impossible thing to do, which is allocate trillions of services and products uh, that fluctuate all the time because it's impossible to know what 380 million people's demands are going to be every single day. That's one thing that you can't do is you can't predict the market. And so in, in, in basic economics and Nate knows a lot more about this because he's read it 27 times now, by the way. Um, and we've, we've read other economic systems too, but this is just obviously based on research. The best, the best system we've come up with is to let the free market decide through prices uh, what's good and what's bad. Now, if people develop bad products or services, right, the price of those go way down, sometimes to the point where the business goes out of business. And that happens to about 80% of small businesses that try to get started. The market says, yeah, we don't really like you. We're not going to pay for your product or service. And so they disappear because you can't obviously do anything if you don't have any profit whatsoever. And the market for the products and services that people really do like, where there's a high demand for or high need for, they genuinely do uh, decently well. And so the, the profit margin is enough to where the business owners can keep the doors open. Because everything, everything costs money, whether you're in a communist system or or even let's not even say money let's say it's a trade right because back in the day before you would trade some pelts for some corn or whatever it is you would barter because nate and i were talking about this this morning it's impossible to know how to do everything you know nate was talking about how much would this cup of coffee actually cost me if i had to grow the beans uh you'd have to find a way to grind them so yeah so you need to either build your own grinder or you got to take a rock or something. Probably cover them with something and hit them with a hammer a bunch right. of time. Well, I had to well, make a hammer how would you, first. You'd have to yeah. make a hammer. Yeah. So then you need some iron ore. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to shape a hammer. So you need something to heat it up with really high, like yeah. really hot. So maybe you can make like a, I don't know, a rock, you know, sculpture that had enough, you know, <laughs> air in it to where you could start a really hot fire. But, but, or maybe you just smash the beans with a rock. We'll go the cheap route here. And, and so that, then we just have the beans, right? Well, now uh, you need something to uh, put put the water through the beans, right? So now you need to make a filter, right? Unless you just want to put beans in, in water. Yeah. Well, wait, you got to get water. Got to get some water. So where, I mean, you could collect rainwater maybe, but maybe you need a bin to collect that rainwater. Mm-hmm. So how much is that bin going to cost? Or maybe you could, you know, you could, it would take you probably yeah. <laughs> all this to say, if you think about the simple things in life, like a cup of coffee and, you know, if you make your own coffee at home, it's like, I don't know, 25 cents a cup. Or if you go to Starbucks, it's like five bucks, you know, cause they have a building to pay for and things like that. And high priced, well-marketed coffee that, you know, people like, I like Starbucks. Um, but if you just think about simple, everything, every day things that you use in life, and if you actually had to build everything yourself, and if you actually had to go get all the resources yourself, how much would that actually cost you? Um, and if you don't want to use money, think about time in your life. So if it took you six months to get a cup of coffee because you had to build all these things or whatever, is it worth six months of your life in time? 
to waste that on getting a cup of coffee. So, so that's why basic economics, the allocation of scarce resources, we live in such a ridiculous, rich society where we have so many amazing products and services that let, let us live an, an abundant, luxurious life that we take all of that for granted. And if you go back to what people used to have to do, where they grew their own food, they built their own houses, they cut down their own trees to make the wood, you know, they had to. I don't know, find ways to tie it together or something like when they built log cabins with mud or whatever, like all of this, all of these amazing inventions that we have all because somebody was able to specialize in something and they were able to give it to the market, to people in need or want and make a small profit off of that. And so profit is the driver of a free market economy. And that's done through prices and prices regulate the allocation of the scarce resources that we're talking about. Now, when a natural disaster strikes, and Nate can chime in on the economics of this, when a natural disaster strikes, those scarce resources become what? They become even more scarce. And we gave some examples of that because there could be roads down, there could be trees down, people could be out of power, all of that. So, the supply, replenishing the supply in an area that's been affected, those resources become fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. And a lot of times, because there's some panic that sets in and there's some other things, the demand for those resources go way up. And what you see in areas that have price control laws is, I saw a picture the other day, a guy had an SUV, he had about 15 gas cans in the back of his SUV, and he was filling every single one of them up because gas was still like two fifty a gallon. Now, had gas been, you know, let's say ten dollars a gallon, maybe he only filled one of those up. Yeah. And so he didn't completely empty the gas station to where no one, to where a lot of people couldn't have any gas. He got the gas that he needed based on what he could, um, what he could afford for that scarce resources, which allows other people to get some of that scarce resource too. Well, the important part of that is the second part of the definition of economics uh, as given by Thomas Sowell, which is it's the allocation of scarce resources that have alternative uses. And so prices determine where those alternative uses are going to be taken into account and how those resources are going to be allocated. So in a, a very simple example, just take wood for an example. Now, wood, you could use wood to make a, a pencil. You could use it to make a guitar or a baseball bat or a house or all kinds of different things. And the way that they dictate what wood is going to go into what item is how much people are willing to pay for that item. Whereas if someone had said, we're you know, decree down from the top, we're going to make 10,000 guitars this year. Well, what they'll find is in the price system, if the price drops a lot on guitars where people are no longer willing to pay anything for a guitar because there's too many of them uh, or they're just not necessary anymore, um, then what'll happen is they'll stop allocating that wood to making guitars and instead they'll shift it to something else like pencils or houses or baseball bats or something like that. So this becomes really important. That whole system becomes important when you're talking about uh, gas and water and food and all of these things because when people go to the gas station and they fill up, like Charlie said, an entire SUV worth 
of gas cans where like I saw people with just storage containers like you would buy at Walmart and they were filling those up with gas where they're literally buying out all of the gas from the gas station. Now, what needs to happen after that is the gas station needs to buy more gas and get more gas down there. But the problem is because they're in an area where there's a natural disaster, the cost to get that gas to the gas station has gone up because the drivers don't want to drive down there. The business doesn't want to risk the safety of their drivers. The roads are out of service and it's going to take them 10 times longer to get to the gas stations. And so the cost has gone up on actually getting more gas to the gas station. But when you're in a price controlled market where you're no longer allowed to raise the price in accordance with the demand, now the gas station can't get more gas. And so what happens after that is a shortage. And so you see all these shortages pop up of all of these items because the price has been held artificially low and now all of it gets bought out of supply and now the people who sell those things to you aren't able to get new supply brought into them because they can't pay the price that the suppliers are going to demand because of the harsh conditions that people would be in trying to get those products to the to the store. So the price part is really important because when the price goes up on something, that's a signal to people who produce things and the people who supply things. When the price goes up, it says, hey, the price has gone up on that. There's a little bit of profit over there. I need to shift my resources over to making more of that, over to supplying more of that. And when the price goes down on something where there's not much money left in it, then they'll say, hey, uh, we don't need to be focusing on that resource much anymore. Obviously, people don't want it very much, so we don't really need to shift our attention over to making more of that resource. We need to shift it to something else, somewhere else where people are willing to pay more. So that's how you end up getting these shortages. So among all of the emotional arguments that go along with price gouging, at the end of the day, you have to look at the result of your two options. One of them you're saying that, that people should be forced to keep their prices at the original price or close to the normal price and that that's going to be the best thing for everyone. The result from that is that we end up with shortages and then we end up in, a, in an environment where a lot of people can't get any of that product at all and a lot more people end up getting hurt by it. The result from the allowing prices to fluctuate with the demand is what we see in our free market right now. You end up with plenty of everything all, all the time. You, you know, imagine if we have, have price fixing on food and we were just like the Soviet Union or like a early, early Soviet Russia or some of those other countries where we have prices fixed on those certain items. And then we just weren't producing enough food because people weren't directing their resources to that. Well, in those countries, you end up, or China, places like that, you end up with a lot of people starving, millions and millions of people starving because they have food shortages. And in the United States, where our prices are allowed to fluctuate a little bit more freely, you end up with a lot of obese people because we have plenty of food all, all the time. So the results are what matter, not like, not what your emotional oh, this is evil and greedy and people shouldn't be taking advantage of people. I get it. I get that. I understand. But you're not helping anyone at all. You're saying something that sounds good and makes you feel better. It makes you feel like a good person. You're not doing anything that actually helps the people that you're talking about wanting to help in that situation. What actually helps the people 
is if the price were allowed to go up to $10 a gallon for gas, then more people would be able to get gas because you wouldn't have those people filling up storage containers of gas in the back of their cars. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have people buying six months worth of water before anyone else can get to the store to buy more water. You would have the price go up and those people would only buy exactly what they needed to stay alive, which is the point. That's the point. If worse comes to worse, you need to buy a tank of gas so you can drive as far as you can in the opposite direction. That's the bottom line right there. That's the, to save your life because that's the whole point right there. You need to be able to buy a tank of gas so you can drive 400 miles in the other direction. And then you'll be safe and your family will be safe. So that's the, that's the goal that we need to be looking at. And what actually happens in this case is that prices are held artificially low. That guy goes there, fills up his entire, all of his storage bins with gas. The gas station runs out of gas. And then a lot of people aren't able to buy any gas whatsoever because all the gas is gone. And they, and they can't get new supply trucks down there because roads are out. Uh, they can't do it at the price that drivers would want paid to drive it down there. All those different things. So while on one hand, you have a group of people who get to feel good because they've came out against price gouging, and so now they're nice, moral, just, feel-good people. Well, those are the people that are actually causing people a lot of pain, actual pain, like death kind of pain, not like financial pocketbook kind of pain. I'm talking about like death kind of pain. And then the people like us who are making the very difficult argument that sometimes the prices of things go up to adjust to supply and demand, what we're arguing for is actually what really helps people. It's like all the arguments that we make on everything uh, all the time. It's, it's, it's a difficult sell because it doesn't sound as good as saying, oh, it's wrong to charge people more money when, when they're in need of something. I, I get that. But take that $4 case of water, for example. Why was the case of water $4? The case of water was $4 because that is the that was the market price. That is what people would pay for a case of water. And so the price had settled around $4. No one was crying about price gouging at the $4 case of water, even though the stores at that time were in fact charging the highest price that they could get for a case of water. That's exactly what they were doing. And that price was settled around $4. The only people crying price gouging were socialists at that point in time because they hate all profit. So they were crying price gouging at the $4 amount already. So what's happened is now the price that people are willing to pay for a case of water has simply gone up. It has gone up to $9. There is no such thing as a case of water that is worth $4. A case of water is worth what people will pay for it. That's what things are worth. Anything that you do on a daily basis, it's just like that, that infomercial you see on TV where they tell you it's a $60 value and they're going to sell it to you for $19.99. Guess what? It's not a $60 value. It's a $20 value. If it were a $60 value, you'd be paying $60 for it. Your item that's on sale, you're getting a $100 coat and it's on sale 50% off, so you're getting the $100 value at $50. No, you're getting a $50 value. If it were a $100 value, then you would have paid $100 for it. That That's a $100 value. I don't see like Louis Vuitton lowering their prices. No. They don't really have to do sales. And and speaking <laughs> of, yeah, because they, they have decided that's the value. Look at your iPhone. You know, Your iPhone is worth $1,000 because that's what people will pay for it. 
They, and it sends signals to space. It sends things to space, <laughs> and you receive them back. Yes. I mean, it, it's an amazing machine yes. that is completely worth the money. It pays for itself in like a week, easily. A day. It pays for itself in a day. Mm-hmm. So the other thing, so you mentioned prices going down. That's, this is the part where you can really get people on this argument. Because the market price right now for a case of water, or last week, say last week, for a case of water in Florida went from $4 to $9. And people were crying price gouging. This is a $4 case of water. How can you sell it for $9? Well, what would you have done if all of a sudden last week everyone decided that it was immoral to buy bottled water because of plastic and whatever, uh, that it was immoral to buy bottled water from Nestle, and all of a sudden no one would pay for it, and the grocery stores had to lower the price of a, of a case of bottled water down to $2. Now, would you have ran a news story that said, a $4 case of water for $2? This is egregious. The, the store owners are getting hosed. No, you'd say, well, obviously that case of water is only worth $2. So that's the hypocritical side of the argument, is when prices go down on things, we say, well... That's because it wasn't worth $4. It's only worth $2. And mm-hmm. we're okay with prices going down on stuff. If we find all kinds of new oil or new new ways to make oil cheaper and the price of gas goes down to $0.85 cents a gallon, are you going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm getting this $2.50 per gallon gas for $0.85 cents a gallon? No, you're going to say, hey, look, gas is only worth $0.85 cents a gallon right now. That's the hypocritical side of this argument that just drives me completely insane because everyone's okay when they are gouging the store owners for lower prices. But whenever the store owners raise prices in in reaction to supply and demand, then everyone goes crazy. It's the same thing in both directions. Supply The price gouging is just supply and demand that we don't like. That's all it is. The other hard part about this conversation I want to get into is... Uh, the responsibility of it. So we talk a lot here about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. And part of that pursuit of meaning comes with responsibility. And so I, I, you know, I read a good article um, because, you know, Milton Friedman, one of my favorite economists was, was against, you know, price gouging. He was, he was, uh, you know, anti gouging. He, he said that you shouldn't uh, take, you know, advantage of people. Right. And he was a Nobel prize winning economist, but I read this article that, you know, insurance companies had started incentivizing people to like buy homes that had hurricane shutters or purchase hurricane shutters and your insurance would go down. And so they were saying, and, and, you know, one of, uh, what, what they were finding was, is that when a hurricane actually come through and people had homes that were better equipped to handle hurricanes, the damage was way less. The insurance companies had to shell out way less money. So all the discounts they gave on people who were prepared for a hurricane, let's say, um, was worth it. So that's another essence of the free market, right? You incentivize people to do things that protect yourself. Well, the other hard sell of this is that the onus is on you. The responsibility to feed your family, protect your family, it's on you. And so if you live in an area on the coast like Florida that has the potential for hurricanes, this happens every single year, by the way, we know when hurricane season is. We can predict them pretty much. I know the the path took a little bit of different toll, but that responsibility is on you to be prepared for that natural disaster and whatever that preparation looks like. And I know that's a difficult thing to say. It's, it's, It's hard to say when people are going through a crisis, like it's on you, but 
if you think about it, your family and you for yourself, that you're responsible for that. And so how can you prepare? Think about it. Like maybe have a plan in place to say, okay, if a hurricane comes, how are we prepared? Are we prepared for a category three or category four or category five? Do we leave town? If it's a category five, do we stay? If it's a category three, how do we get the kids home? How do we protect our water from a flood or our water? How do we protect our home from a flood? Uh, cause homes flood with water. So, so do you get sandbags? Do you have sandbags stored? Do you replenish your gas once a month? Let's say during hurricane season, like you go ahead and, and you have three cans on hand that you can buy at two fifty a gallon. And every month you just, you know, refill those three cans or however long you want it to last. I've used gas. That's way older than that. I don't know what the, you know, search your local mechanic to see <laughs> how long you can keep gas for. Cause I don't know how long it's good for. Um, but you have to think about those things. If you live in an area, we live in the tornado Valley. So I know if there's weather, that's bad enough that my preparedness plan, let's say is I'm going to go to the lower level of my home. I'm going to get on the interior. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I've got, uh, I've got a couple cases of water already in my pantry. So I've got water in case the power goes out. I've got enough canned food and things like that, that I could eat. And I wouldn't even need to go to the grocery store and pay high prices anyway, because I'm prepared. Right. And people, the, the one thing is, is, is we want government to take the responsibility to make sure that we're taken care of when really the onus is on you. And I know that's probably one of the most difficult things to sell when it comes to natural disasters and crisis. Well, and it's it's pretty easy to be prepared for this, and and Charlie's got to go to get on a on a phone call. But it's pretty easy to be prepared for this. It's pretty cheap. Uh, you could actually say that you buy milk and you use milk. Well, when you finish that jug, why don't you just take that jug, rinse it out, and fill it up with tap water? And if you just do that, like for every jug of milk that you go through in your house. You just keep doing that. Every bottle of water, you just fill it back up with tap water, and you just keep that in a little closet in your house. Then you can actually store up a decent amount of water, and you won't have to pay $9 for a case of water. You could already be prepared. You could go ahead and get a couple gas jugs right now and fill those up with gas and, and go ahead and have that ready sitting sitting in your uh, sitting in your garage and just just be ready before these things happen. Like Charlie said, we know that these hurricanes are going to happen. If you live in Florida, you know that this is going to happen. So it really is it really is a mistake on the people who live in that area for not taking their time and their responsibility to get prepared for this any more than a day or two in advance. There really isn't there's not a great excuse for this, honestly. But one a thing I wanted to say on this is that I want to make the point that I that I am not in support of the just say that the evil, greedy side of price gouging and that let's say you have plenty of the supply, you're never going to run out of it or you the roads haven't been obstructed and you're not going to have any issues getting more supplies, but you are just raising the prices up because you can and you're making an insane amount of money off of things because you can. I do think there is a time when it is immoral to raise your prices a certain amount to be making tons of money off the supplies that you have. Now, the good part about this is that 
the business economics of this, it doesn't really care about the immoral or moral side of it. The results are what matter. And as I said earlier, the results from the two options, one of them is that we run into shortages and a lot of people end up not being able to get the product whatsoever. The other one is that prices go up on things, but you're still able to get what you need. You have to decide which one of those are a better option. And and that's kind of the, the difficult situation that we run into here is that there's not a great option here. It's a natural disaster. It's a bad situation. There's not going to be some great, grand, amazing feel-good answer that comes out of this because it's a terrible situation. But there are, there are different ways of looking at this that can make it look, that can make it feel a little bit better. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the reason that I'm harping on this, the reason I chose this as something to write an article about today is because I believe that this mentality, the, the emotions you feel right now listening to me talk about price gouging, the disagreement that you have with what I'm saying, that that emotion is at the basis of what drives the socialist economic side of things, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, I'm not saying that you take it all the way to that level, that you don't have rationality that pops in and you say, well, obviously we can't provide that for everyone, or obviously we can't pay $92 trillion for the Green New Deal. I'm not saying that you're not able to make that distinction. But what I am saying that is that even if you're someone who's listening to this podcast and you have the emotion that you feel right now about this, that that emotion is at the base of, the, of what drives the ideology on on the left of socialism of communism and i'm not saying that you're i'm not saying that you're a socialist or that you're a communist but what i'm saying is that if it's possible for you a nice rational logical thinking human being who's made it this far into this episode if it's possible for you to feel this way about this then it's entirely it, it, it entirely shows us how it's possible for people to agree with things that Bernie Sanders says on a daily basis. Because how you feel about this is how socialists feel about capitalism all the time. All the time. And so the important part of this is actually to take the way that you approach this situation now, when you talk to other people, let's say you're going to go get on Facebook, or you're going to go get on Twitter, and you're going to have a back and forth with people. Remember how you feel about this right now, how you feel about these companies taking advantage of people, about people who are in need and they're not able to get the things that they, that they really need so they can stay alive. Remember how you feel about this right now. Because that is how the people on the left feel, only about almost everything in capitalism. That's the important part to remember. And that's why I chose this as a topic, because if, if we can find a way to get people to listen on price gouging, then we can find a way to get people to listen on everything. That's why I think it's important that we make these distinctions, that we have these conversations. So maybe you can show this episode to someone that you think needs to hear it. Maybe listen to it again if we got too in the weeds there about some of the details. Ask yourself, 
you've decided what something costs, right? Oh, it's a $4 case of water. It's wrong for the price to go up to $9. Okay. So do you also believe that it's wrong for the price to go down to $1 because it's a $4 case of water? How did you come to that decision that it was $4? Who, who made that decision? Why is it $4? It's $4 because that's what the market price will pay for it at the moment. And that price goes up and down. And if you're okay with it going down, then you have to be okay with it going up. You can't have it both ways. You can't be hypocritical about this one. Because the hypocritical about this, about the very basis of free market economics, of the principles of supply and demand, and why the prices on these items go up when the demand for those items goes up, being hypocritical about that completely kills your argument on anything else that you're going to make an argument about when it comes to economics. Because this is still the same thing. It's just very emotional, and it's very obvious. It's very plain. It's right out in front. It's something that everyone can agree with as a terrible situation. So if we can find a way to think rationally about this and logically about this and put the emotionomics to the side for a, mo for a moment, then maybe we have some kind of a chance at getting to people on all of the other issues. So anyway... Show this to someone. If you think you know someone who needs to hear this, tell someone about the show. Go follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty, Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Find us on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty. Go to our website if you want to read some great economics articles, politics articles, goodmorningliberty.us. Go to BernieLies.com if you want to hear some of these uh, articles that are specifically tailored to Bernie Sanders' arguments. So just tell someone about it. And by the way, guys, we really appreciate everyone who is listening to this show. We've had people emailing us, messaging us, saying that they really love the show. It's one of their favorite podcasts. We, I cannot say just how much we appreciate that and the fact that this show has been growing in the, in the way that it has been. Our Facebook has been growing. We have a, a crazy amount of reach on our Facebook, hundreds of thousands of people that we're able to reach on a weekly basis on our Facebook, and that's because you guys sharing the articles sharing the shows all the time. So really big thank you. So you guys just keep doing all that stuff. If you do all of that, we'll be right back here tomorrow doing the same thing again. Until then, you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.